This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Mad Splainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. Today, I'm here with Lindsay Christians, the Cap Times food editor and host of the Corner Table podcast. Hi, Natalie. You wrote about two Wisconsin businesses with Native American names that plan to rename out of respect for the tribes. Can you tell me about those two businesses? Yes, absolutely. Uh, So first of all, thank you so much for having me in here. This is very fun. The two businesses both announced their name changes last year. So one of them announced in April and another one in October. Um, The first one was Kickapoo Coffee Roasters in Viroqua, Wisconsin. And they are a coffee roaster that's been around since 2005. And they announced in April that they were concerned about cultural appropriation. They didn't realize the Kickapoo were a people and a tribe. They just thought it was the name of the river. And so they opened up a dialogue with their community. They invited Lester Randall from the Kickapoo tribe of Kansas to come in and, you know, speak to the community a couple different times. And they are sort of in still in the process of doing that name change. The other business that also announced a name change was the Winnebago Arts Cafe. That is on Winnebago Street on Madison's east side. And that's a music venue. It was a cafe for a while. Um, it's it's sort of a, a performance space venue. And they have been open for a year this February. So they're a very, very young business. And they announced in October that they were going to change their name, uh, citing pretty much almost word for word the same kinds of reasons. And is this a change that the tribes in question were calling for? They absolutely did not. So in neither case did the tribe even know about the business in question, which I thought was really interesting. So in the case of the the Kickapoo Nation, they didn't know that there was a coffee roaster with the name. They didn't know that, like, they even really existed up there. They were they're just not even thinking about that. Uh, In the case of the Winnebago Arts Cafe, there was a person who was of Native heritage who was not Ho-Chunk, which is actually what the the Ho-Chunk used to be called, the Winnebago, but that was a name given to them uh, by the federal government. It's not the name that they chose for themselves. And so there was a person who was of Native heritage who contacted the owners of the Winnebago and said, hey, I think this is maybe an issue. Like, here's some history. Here's some things that you should know about this. But that that person is not Ho-Chunk. So in neither case was this something that was requested by the tribe, which I thought was interesting. The Kickapoo are based now... So there's several Kickapoo tribes. There's one in Kansas. There's Kickapoo tribe in Kansas. There's one in Oklahoma. Um, there is one in Mexico. And I think there's one in Texas as well. And do they have a tie to Wisconsin? Yeah. So apparently Wisconsin... That was the last place where the Kickapoo were all one tribe. Something really interesting that Lester talked about, Lester Randall talked about, was um, how the name Kickapoo means he who wanders from here to there. And folks have thought a couple things. One, that that was a reference to the the river winding or that they were a nomadic tribe. And Lester was like, we weren't a nomadic tribe. We were forced there. We were pushed there and, and you know, made to go there. So that sort of ruffled his feathers a little bit. But he 
they talked about how this is all part of this uh, ancestral trail of the Kickapoo um, that that kind of crosses the United States, and it's how the tribe moved uh, through history. So making this sort of change can't be easy or cheap for these businesses. What do we know about the kind of cost involved? So I asked that question, actually. Um, so the Kickapoo Coffee Roasters folks, they, I said, you know, do you have any idea how much this is going to cost? Because they're still kind of in it. They're like in the thick of it yet. Um, they're going to announce a new name uh, this year. But they said it's it's already going to be above $100,000. There was a similar, not quite similar, but it, uh, the closest parallel that I could find. Um, when I was in college, I worked at a coffee shop called Beaners. And they were founded in the mid-1990s. And in 2007, they changed their name. And they were franchising at that point out of Michigan. And when they changed their name, they estimated that it was um, more than a million dollars to change it because of the merchandise and the signage and all of the different stuff that you have to do when you change your name. And it's not just like the city, like you have to change your name with the city and like the, the state of Wisconsin has various rules about how you register a business and all these different things. And so um, for Kickapoo, it's going to be more expensive than for the Winnebago. Um, I think for the Winnebago, like, no one at, at the Winnebago was able to like let give me those kinds of details about how much it was going to cost. But they did talk about how, it, you know, it has been a longer process than they anticipated. And part of that is, you know, financial, but part of that is, I'm sure, bureaucratic as well. There's a lot of paperwork to file and fill out. What do you think the fact that these two businesses are undertaking such a big change tells us about Wisconsin or about those businesses themselves? I think it speaks to the fact that we're talking about these things, that that we're more open um, to having these kinds of conversations, I'm in, in some cases, and I should say not all. But I, I was encouraged in my own reporting, and I think that a lot of the indigenous folks that I talked to were also encouraged that the conversations were happening at all. Because you hear about mascots like high school mascots and you know some or and national football league mascots too right um that are offensive to native people you hear about disputes over land um you hear about you know caricatures and and cultural appropriation and not just you know of native people but uh, people of all kinds of different cultures that are non-white cultures and I just I was so encouraged by the attitudes of many of the people I spoke with that that we seem to be more open to having these conversations that that people are willing to be vulnerable because in all of these cases that you hear about these are these are cases where people have said we made a mistake we were ignorant and we did this wrong and we're going to try to fix it now and sometimes what that means to fix it is not an easy thing to figure out it can get complicated. It can make you feel guilty or bad. There's like There can be a lot of negative emotions around that. But I think the fact that both of these businesses that I'm that I was talking to have made to you know varying levels attempts to make it right or to address it or to acknowledge the wrong, that's really encouraging. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. 
Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. As you were doing this reporting, what, if anything, was particularly surprising? I was surprised that the that, for example, the Kickapoo tribe in Kansas didn't know about Kickapoo coffee roasters. Like, I just assumed that they would. Not, I didn't assume that they would have an opinion about it. Um, but I assumed that they would know because the internet. But they didn't because, you know, who cares about a little coffee company in Wisconsin? Like, they weren't, they weren't looking for it, right? Um, I thought a lot about the idea that any group of human beings is not a monolith. There's going to be people within a group that think that like, oh, you know, it's nice to have something named Winnebago because it makes us think of whatever. I don't I mean, there's always going to be different levels of opinion, different kinds of opinions about things. I don't know. I feel like some of the things that surprised me were how often we started talking about one thing to do with like names and cultural appropriation and how we would end up in other places, you know? Yeah. Like we would start talking about, you know, indigenous names and we would be taught – then we start talking about like Victoria Falls in, in Africa and the renaming of that or Lake Calhoun and the renaming of that in um, – going back to the original Dakota name of that lake in Minneapolis and the chain of, chain of lakes. I, I was also kind of surprised at, at all the places that this conversation was happening that I hadn't really looked for or been listening to and that was really cool. What are you referring to there? Oh, um, so I I talked to Carrie Bowman, who is a teacher of the Wisconsin First Nations class at West High School. And I don't cover education. (laughs) Uh, That's Scott Gerard, um, our wonderful education reporter. And so it was really neat to talk with her and to hear a little bit about what her students were talking about, um, to hear about what the MMSD has, the Madison, it's the Madison Metropolitan School District. Yeah. The Madison Metropolitan School District um, doing this work on the student task task force around mascots, and I didn't know that they had done that. Like that was really interesting and and good for those kids, you know, good for those students for doing that work and for asking those difficult questions. I didn't quite realize how those kinds of conversations worked. I did not have any education about Native people uh, when I was growing up, and. My high school was named after a general who killed a lot of them. So it, it's, I've been really reflecting a lot about the things that we are never taught. So, And on that same note, what were you seeking to do with this story? I wanted to look at why these kinds of name changes happen, like why they were happening now. And I also, the journalist in me sees a big announcement and is immediately skeptical <laughs> because I feel like sometimes people want the external accolades without doing the internal work. And there's also this thing that happens where there it's like this sort of white savior, woke white guy thing that happens where it's like, oh, you are so amazing. You're doing the right thing. Isn't that great for you? You're the best. And I feel like there's this easy getting rid of guilt thing there that doesn't acknowledge or involve the hard work that the real change takes. And so I just wanted more information. I was curious about 
what happens after you make the big announcement and everybody tells you you're great, right? So that's what I was looking for. And you note in this story that it's not just coffee roasters and cafes that have used Native American names. Wisconsin is full of these things. What did the people you interviewed say about that? Oh, that was really interesting. So I was talking with Dan Brown, who is the executive – I think it's the, he's the executive manager of Ho-Chunk Gaming in Madison. I think that's his title. And uh, I said, well, you know, should the city of Madison rename the Winnebago Street? That was part of the conversation when the Winnebago first announced its name change. People were like, well, it's just the name of the street. What's the big deal? Similar kind of thing. Like Kickapoo is the name of the river. They named it after the river. Let's all just calm down. Uh, sure, fine. But – um, I asked Dan, I said, well, what do you think? Like, should the city rename the street? And he was like, I mean, sure, right? In the gra- in the context of all the things that have happened to his people, what the street's named and or what the cafe's named does not really rise to the level of something they're worried about. But he said, yeah, change the name of the street. Maybe also change the name of Cherokee Bay. There's no Cherokee around here. We're the native people of this place. You know, why is that name that? Uh, the names of the lakes sound vaguely Native American, but they're not. And I bet if you asked a bunch of like 10, 12, 15 Madisonians, they would say, oh, yeah, those are Ho-Chunk names or those are Native names. And they're definitely not. And I I was fascinated by that because I, I had not occurred to me to like say, oh, wait, where does the word Mendota come from? Turns out some guy in the 1850s who said that he thought that he knew a lot of Native people, like made them up apparently. So... That was something that I found really interesting, that, like, maybe there are Native names of things, but they're not always – it's not always simple. Yeah. Are there circumstances in which naming places or things for Native American tribes might be the respectful thing to do? I think so. I think that there are examples we've already seen. And you'll forgive me if I don't actually say these names because they are a little bit difficult to pronounce. But I found examples in uh, Vancouver in Canada, a couple of plazas that were renamed for First Nations people. Um, I found an example, uh, as I said, a lake in Minneapolis that was renamed. Uh, It's Indigenous Original Dakota name. And I think that when those kinds of renamings are done with respect and an open conversation and really transparently, that those can be positive. You're also going to have people who are upset about it and who are like, well, why would you change this name? It's it's the name that we have. Because people have pride in their local places and their own history and their own roots. And I think it can be really complicated. There can be difficult feelings around that. But I, I think if you're going into wanting to honor a culture or a people and respect those people – that having as open a dialogue as you can and being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to be wrong, and to keep trying anyway, I think these are all sort of the collective path forward, right? I hope. And what developments are you watching for in this story? I want to know what the new names are. They haven't come out yet. So uh, Kickaboo Coffee Roasters has a new name, but they're not announcing it. Uh, I talked to this uh, woman who works there, and her name is Shizue, and she said that it's like telling people the name of your baby before it's born, that you want people to, like, see the baby first before they 
comment about the name you picked, which I thought was really funny. I don't think the Winnebago has a new name yet. They've they've been going through some stuff over there, uh, so it's a little bit more complicated. But they hopefully will have a name in the next few months. But I think they jumped the gun a little bit. They were like, we're going to rename ourselves in three months. And then they were like, oh, wait, this is way more complicated than we thought. So I think they'll they'll figure it out. They just haven't yet. Anything we've missed? Oh, my gosh. You know, I had a lot of fun writing this story just because these conversations can, I think, be difficult to have. But everybody was, you know, pretty much open about being willing to talk about where they messed up and how they're trying to make it better. And that's really lovely to hear, actually. And I liked that it felt like an opportunity to talk about something without easy answers. Like there will be people who will read the story and think that Kickapoo Coffee Roaster should not have bothered to change its name. There will be people who read the story and think that the Winnebago folks are still in the wrong. But hopefully there's a spectrum in there of starting to wrestle with the cultures that, you know, white people like the ones I come from have erased, have had a hand in erasing. And acknowledging that and being open about it and continuing to talk about it and accept what things are wrong and how we can make them better or not, how we can just sort of acknowledge and hold space for those stories. That was all really encouraging to me. Lindsay, thanks so much for making the time. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Lindsay Christians, who spends her days exploring the Madison area food and arts scene. Tune in next week for a conversation with local government reporter Abigail Becker. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to The Madsplainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening. And leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including Lindsay's own podcast, The Corner Table, which is all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.